Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Canada's podcast. I'm Phil Bliss, a Toronto host. Uh, today, I'm going to introduce you to Michael Camerata, who is the CEO of Neptune Wellness Solutions, a, a TSX company. Um, Michael's got a very interesting background. Um, he's actually the founder of Random Occurrence, a venture capital and private equity firm, and you know, really is from New York, although uh, managing uh, a TSX company, as I said, that was this actually headquartered in Quebec. So he's um, so we really have, you know, a good North American story here, basically, um, and. I think, you know, what you'll find most interesting is how Michael progressed uh, as a dyslexic kid uh, to really becoming a millionaire by the time he was 13. So without further ado, let's say welcome to Michael. Before we go any further, you know, you've got, a, you've got an interesting story, I know, um, and you're an American running a TSX company that's headquartered in Quebec, and today you're in Jupiter, Florida. So, you know, I think that's the kind of, you know, sort of scenario. It's very common uh, with Canadian, U.S. I mean, there's always a lot, there's a lot of, of, you know, overlap. We have a fairly large U.S. audience and Canadian audience. Uh, but, you know, give, give us the sort of five minutes on, on who Michael is and how he got to be an entrepreneur. Five minutes. I'll try. That'll be a good record. We'll, we'll, we'll spread it out. Over <laughs> no, I, it honestly, is like I was a highly dyslexic kid. I was born in New York, and and I tried sports, and I knew I wasn't going to make it to the Olympics. Uh, I was very fortunate enough uh, to meet two people that introduced me to a computer game called StarCraft, and I got my first computer, started playing it came really good at it and got into a group of gamers and they taught me how to build websites. I think I learned more from that than I did from any of the schooling. Websites became popular, um, had to pay for the hosting to keep them up. So I started a hosting company. Then the hosting company took off and then I got into online advertising uh, to promote the hosting company and then ultimately uh, to, to build additional capacity uh, to market the, the, the web hosting company. And then uh, was very successful. I was one of the largest providers of inventory at a company called Advertising.com uh, that sold AOL for 498 million. When I was 17 is when I uh, started my family office um, and started investing in different companies, um, mainly in fintech and the service industry at first. Mm -hmm. um, I was very fortunate to uh, uh, learn about the entertainment side of the businesses. And that's really where it switched. And I was like, you know what? You can create content and, and market it. But if you can create content, market it, and have a positive impact, you can create a brand. And brands last for hundreds of years. And so instead of being a service business, I really wanted to focus on building my asset pool on brands that, that can make a difference in people's lives on a daily basis. Because I remember, you know, you grow up, you pick a toothpaste brand or deodorant brand, or you have a different soda you drink, or now you have different types of sodas, and you really can enhance that person's lifestyle. And the more that I looked internally, like how I was being uh, <clears throat> my own lifestyle, I started realizing that the products that I'm using around me affect it. So I started focusing on the brands in 2015, 
we started this brand called Schmidt's Deodorant. Um, four people, 1,200 square feet, um, and we grew to, you know, over 180 employees, 30 plus thousand square feet, multiple offices. We we're taking market share away from the biggest brands in, in the world that have been around for decades. And uh, on our way to the IPO, ended up uh, getting acquired and joined Unilever as a divisional uh, CEO, focusing on my little department in health and wellness. And and uh, and then ultimately, uh, uh, to speed it up, I got into looking at ingredients because the products, the, the consumer is shifting. They want plant-based ingredients and a way to make day-to-day products safer. A lot of people talk about cannabis as getting high or adult consumption or medical, but there's actually a much bigger purpose in, in the plant. It's in the cannabinoids. Like We can make a plant-based natural deodorant be as effective as a 48-hour clinical strength deodorant or a toothpaste that, that's natural that can fight gingivitis or a, a shampoo product that, that can actually not cause hair loss or can potentially neurological issues if you use synthetics, fragrance. Um, and, and it just started even in the cleaning products. And so that's when I started on my journey. It's like, okay, how do we get into that? And we found out that there wasn't a lot of companies focusing on that third use. They're focusing on adult consumption and medical. So I joined Neptune. Um, and from Unilever and started focusing on that third use and um, and and really making finished form products and, and focusing on brands and brands that can be used by plant-based uh, ingredients. And Unilever's a partner of ours and international fragrances and flavors and and Morgan Stanley, we, we have a great relationship with now and and really Neptune is really at the forefront of that that third category. Why do you stay? I mean, you know, you 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 you, you said the dyslexic side of things, so that moved you into being an entrepreneur. You were really successful. Um, you know, sold to Unilever, went in as a divisional CEO. Why did you roll back into entrepreneurship? Well, I think it's something that I'm the most comfortable with. I like building, right? I can see things when people can't and and I can go into areas where it's being disrupted or it may look chaotic and, and I'll always come out on top. I think that's a gift of the way I think mm-hmm. um, and how much effort I put into my business world and, and looking at it is I can see the solutions before most people can. So I think that that's something that's natural. And I think that when you look at Unilever or being in a big organization with 160,000 employees, um, being able to go into a company that, that you know, has been around for 22 years and, and really be able to shape an image, but actually have it service some of the biggest companies in the world and really make a difference. Like we can do things faster and more efficiently than some of the biggest companies um, and to have that impact. Like I think that right now it's like the, the cannabinoids are like the electric car battery and, we're, and the whole consumer package good industry is going to be disrupted by them. And we're at the forefront of it. And I think being able to do that and put your mark on history, and people may not understand it at first. And, and believe me, for like, I, you know, I could retire and I'm 35 years old, but I really want to make a positive impact. And I think if we can, we can go and do that right now on a scale that, you know, there's not many times in history you're going to be able to disrupt the whole industry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've done these things. You know, on the I like to ask about challenges. I mean, because that's how we learn. Uh, what What's the greatest challenge you faced on your you know your entrepreneurial journey to date? 
that, that, that really taught you a lot that you can pass on to somebody? Well, I think the biggest challenge is, you, you know, how I think is different and how I communicate is different. Not everybody can understand how I'm looking at a problem or see it. And when I was really young, I, Ann Dodd, she was one of the, um, I was very fortunate to have a tutor because I was struggling in school. Like I got a GED, right? But, you know, I feel like I got a PhD at Unilever and definitely a double PhD now at Neptune. Mm. Um, the hardest thing was, was the, the confidence, right? I think most dyslexic people are people with learning disabilities is they seek, uh, they seek like uh, reassurances from other people, right? Mm. Um, but it actually takes away from your gifts that you have because you see, see things different for a reason. And you can't always explain it in the same philosophy. The best way to look at it is a math problem, right? If I tried and use the formulas that the teachers taught me to solve a math problem, I'll never be able to do it. But if I look at the math problem as a question and, mm -hmm. and I just have to provide the answer, then I can go and make my own formulations and I can, and I can give them the answer. That's a little bit at example on like in a school years, like how I had, and it took Ann Dodd to help me build my confidence and, and to not fall into the trap of putting your faith in others, but looking at what your uniquenesses are and your thought process and trying to bring the people along with the journey, uh, but have that confidence in yourself. So just on a, on a more pragmatic level, can you give, a, give me an example of, you know, where you've hit that wall that, that we do at various times as we're building things? And, and, you know, sometimes you go over, sometimes you go around. How, how you know, give us an example of how you've managed to, to get around the wall, if you like. Oh, yeah. Like in a deodorant company, I'll give you an example. My theory was we find, I partnered with a lady who had a formula. It was in a jar. Costco, it's a $58 million skew, right? I thought I can stick the deodorant from the jar into a co-packer and put it into a stick and sell to Costco. Okay. What I didn't know that that formulation, what made it so special at the time, which is all plant-based, not liquid-based. The co-packers were all doing liquid-based formulas of natural deodorant, like Tom's Main and, and others. They weren't able to put that formula into it. So we actually had to build a factory. I've never built a factory before, never intended to build a factory before at that point. And it took years before we got the right PhDs without a scientist to help us modify that formula in a way we could protect the IP and use co-packers to bring it to scale. Um, and we committed to launches that we had to deliver on. So the, I think that, you know, most people would have been like, okay, we need to stop and start a new product line or we need to change the formula. They don't look, I think that, you know, taking that on as a challenge and seeing that that's what makes you unique, it, it may be a little bit more stressful. Or like when I came into the, the cannabis industry, and, I, and, and a company that was known to be an extractor, I said, no, we're going to be a consumer packaged good company. We're going to build finished form products. We're not going to do crude oil. We're going to focus on servicing Fortune 500 customers and dealing directly with governments and building our own brands. Like most people have been like, why would you exit that? But it ended up being the right call because if you look at a lot of the other extractors, I think we performed very well in, in, in pragmatic times and brought on a lot of new institutional investors uh, where others struggled to do that. And I think that you don't always get to make the calls that are the easiest. Uh, being in a publicly traded company, it's a little bit harder because you, you can't really always communicate as, as frequently as I would normally in a private company. Um, why this the strategy and why we move different ways. But over time, people see that. And 
being dyslexic and, you know, hitting walls every which way you go, because it's not a textbook, right? I think entrepreneurs, well, they make the textbooks, they create the opportunities, they can see things where they're not there, right? It's like people are like, why'd you get in the distribution business? Well, I'm like, look at Activision, right? Activision started working on buying distribution companies. Then they started partnering with publishers that made games, and then they became the publisher. You have to have the distribution. You have to have the content. You have to have all these different components together to build something that's big. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's interesting. You mentioned someone that kind of mentored you earlier. And, you know, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? that you use, you know, constantly, or not constantly, but you come back to on a regular basis? Well, I think it's, you know, the self-confidence is huge. Like people, like that's the thing that makes or breaks people. I think the biggest thing that that I keep going back to with Ann Dodd, who's the, the, one of my tutors when I was younger, was like, look at everything as a question and give the answer, right? Um, you're not, it's not as always easy to bring out that thought process. And so sometimes it makes it more confusing when you try and you know, walk somebody through your thought process. Um, I think that the ability to understand that there's only one thing for sure in life and it's change. Like that's the only thing you can count on. What it is today, what it, the strategies are this moment are going to be different. There's going to be external forces of all different types, whether you're public, private, you're selling a toothpaste or you're selling a, a, a soccer ball. There's always going to be change. And that is the thing you can count on and not being shocked by the change, but actually embracing it is something that's made me very prosperous in, in my life personally and in business. And, and knowing that it's an element that, that you have to really focus in on to, to grow as a human and, and, and being okay with it. And I think that, and being okay with yourself, right. Are, and looking for opportunities. Like when they, when people say, I can't, like I, the best thing I like to do is find assets that no one else could make successful and then make them successful, right? That's something that I feel like is a gift of mine and something that I enjoy doing. Um, but again, you know, most people would be like, that's a lot of stress you put on yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sp speaking of that, I mean, imagine you, you know, your 20 year old self, if you could go back that, what, 15 years or so you know what advice would you would you pass on to your 20 year old self something that you could sort of said you know if only I'd done this. Back, there's yeah. a lot of things because you know you can't play <laughs> the cards i have today i would not i was not dealt back then i, I started from nothing and, and got a gd like i was not yeah. like being successful and any sort was it was good because it built my self-confidence but yeah. i think if, if i can go back i'd be like be a little bit less stressful on yourself like don't like i'm my biggest critic like people may think they're more critical of me i think i'm definitely going to take their criticism and even be more criticized so it's like mm -hmm. uh i think i would tell myself to you know if not everything is break and make and uh that I definitely try not to, to be so stressful uh, or put too much stress on, on myself because I definitely hold myself to high standard. I'm very fortunate to, from what I built. Um, I don't take anything for granted. Like you can lose everything in a day. Um, mm -hmm. But knowing the fact that you can, you can survive and you're going to be able to prosper. And sometimes these lessons are there to teach you. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't think I was thinking that way when I was younger. I was like, there's no exception, right? <laughs> it's like, you have to, uh, but I think that that's probably, and I probably would have spent a little bit more uh, time on the personal life, 
um, not just 99% or 100% on 120% on business. Mm-hmm. Are you are you a morning or a night person? <laughs> night person for sure. Night person. Well, most most of the entrepreneurs I meet are, are morning people. So that's kind of kind of interesting. Well, I have all my meetings in the morning, but I do my creative thinking at night. Like I, I like I like to listen to music and 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 sort out my thought process because I think that if you get too much into the meetings, you lose the vision. And I think the vision is what drives everything. Yeah. If you had to pick one word to describe who Michael is, what would it be and why? I'm a problem solver. Like I, I like problems. Like it's what makes me like when most people, uh, 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 you know, stop fighting and get too worried. The more something, the more there's a competitor, the stronger I get. The more there's a like, because I really like problem solving. I like to, you know, it's, it's my sport. Business is my sport, and you're not everything you're gonna win. Not everything you're gonna do it. But if you can take your passion and turn it into something that that you can help change lives of millions of people. Like that's, that's great. So I'm like, it's like you're playing on a sports team, but you know, you're building products and those products are improving the environment. Like there's not another person. Like the biggest thing is like, everybody's like, why did you go with, I'm going to do 50, 50 male, female Mm -hmm. uh, employees. Not anybody else in cannabis has any of those goals. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, because (laughs) this is what makes us unique. We got to raise the bar because our other peers have to like, we're committed to 50, 50 male, female. When I started, we were less than 23%. Now we're at 41%. We're almost the 50, 50 inclusive of factories, which is huge. And like carbon negative, we're not focusing on carbon neutral. We're focusing on carbon negative. Like I think making sure that when you're doing something, you, you really are driving at that point to, to raise the bar. So what is the future of, of, of your industry? You know, the not, not just the cannabis side, but, but, the, the the health side side of it as well uh, the wellness side of it I mean what do you think I mean it, it's a changing scene um, and you you're you're a guy that says you know you you have vision I'm interested to know you know what those two things do they stay together do they do they choose their own route I mean I'm interested to know what what the future is well I don't the stigma behind THC which is really stigmatized the whole ingredient because everybody thinks cannabis, they think of THC. I think that very near in the future, people will realize that there's going to be an alternative to aspirin and it's going to use cannabinoids. There's going to be plant-based deodorant, toothpaste, soaps, cleaning products that are actually going to help the environment with sustainable packaging that are going to be healthy for you. I think consumers are waking up to the fact that, you know, potentially 50% of all the diagnoses uh, that I, that they're having come from what you put in on around your body. And the majority of those are products that you're not even thinking about. Like when you see that vape crisis, right? That showed you how an ingredient can be vaporized and, and can have a negative effect on somebody really quickly. But what about a shampoo bottle that has the synthetic fragrance in it that you're using every day for 50 years and you get hair loss or neurological damage? Like there's so many products and problems in the house that consumers are waking up to doing that. And they're seeing plant-based as an alternative. When I was a kid, people probably thought plant-based were like weaker products or cheaper products. Now people think of products that they are more expensive or premium. But in the fact, they're just going to be part of everyday products. I think the biggest change people are going to see is that cannabis is much more, that plant, the hemp plant or cannabis plant, inside that plant, there is hundreds of cannabinoids and, and, and different ingredients that can be made from it. 
that are going to change every product you use. And the bigger industry is not going to be the adult consumption. The bigger industry is going to be the consumer products that you use on a daily basis, from cleaners and to all those household products. Very interesting. Good, good answer. Good answer. Michael, we come to the end of this. How can I mean some great some great insights? Um, I, I always say, you know, people listen and how can how can they connect with you? I mean, it doesn't have to be email, but you know. People have questions quite often uh, when they, when they listen. So uh, I can't answer them. You you can. <laughs> yeah. So you know I'm on Instagram, Mike Camerata, or Twitter, Mike Camerata. Um, also, if you go to Neptune's website, you can. I, I have the community cell where any investor, anybody can reach out, and and I do my best to try and get back to everybody. Like I do think that within the limitations of what I'm allowed to talk about based on public disclosures and all of those other regulatory bots, I do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always excited to uh, engage and, and, you know, this is one of the most unique times. Like we're going to see one of the biggest industries in the world disrupted in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exciting times. Thank, th- thank you, Michael. Really, really good, good perceptions. Thank you. And thanks, Thank for coming on, and thanks for coming on Canada's podcast. Anytime. I've been listening heavy, so it's, it's very interesting.